I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. We'll read 6 and 7. And then you turn to John 1 and put your finger there to the place, beginning at verse 10. Verse 6, Jesus Christ, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. John 1, beginning at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came into His own, and that Greek word there is, He came into His own things, His own possessions, His own world, and those who were His own, and it's a different word there in the Greek, by the way, for own, it's a different word. And it's literally, he came to his own creation and his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has exegeted Him. He has explained him. Oh, what wonderful words. Many years ago, or not many years ago actually, uh, around Christmas time, a wind swept fire um, swept through one of those canyons outside Los Angeles and destroyed 284 homes, leaving behind broken hearts and and feelings of despair. In the front yard, one of those burned out homes, one of those ashes, there was a sign, a handmade sign placed that reflected the feeling of every one of those 284 families. A passing motorist was driving by, saw the sign standing out in this yard and he called the Los Angeles Times, and they came out, they took a picture of it, and it appeared the next day on the front page of the Los Angeles Times. And you can just actually feel the emotion of that. Here was this, um, 
slab of concrete where a, where a house used to sit, a beautiful home, and this chimney sticking up that was blackened by the, by the fire. There's a little hand-painted sign sitting out in the front yard, and the sign read, Christmas is family, neighbors, and friends, signed the Pierces. That wasn't, that's not a real ringer. I can tell you you're not that excited about the sign. But underneath that sign was a caption by the Los Angeles Times that is pretty fascinating. It said, a message emerging out of the ashes. There is a message that emerges out of a world on fire. A message that emerges from the ashes, which unfortunately we only hear about once a year, and that's at Christmas. And it's the message of the incarnation. Emerging from the ashes is the message that God became man, that deity became humanity. And the Apostle Paul, reflecting on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, calls that event, calls the incarnation, God becoming flesh, and unspeakable gift. The New International, uh, the New English Bible puts it, a gift beyond words. The Living Bible translates it, a gift too wonderful for words. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, puts it, a wonder beyond description. There is no way to translate something like this. It's una we're unable to declare it. It's inexpressible. Now, it seems kind of ironical, isn't it, that I'm going to spend 30 minutes tonight expressing the inexpressible. That seems pretty ironical. That we get up and try to speak about the unspeakable and explain the unexplainable and express the inexpressible. President Roosevelt uh, said concerning Russia that Russia was a riddle wrapped up in a mystery within an enigma. It's exactly what the incarnation is. The incarnation is a riddle wrapped up in a mystery within an enigma. And no matter how you try to explain it, it's unexplainable. And no matter how you try to express it, it's too amazing to understand. And yet out of the ashes of broken dreams and ruined lives, there emerges this sign that says, God has become man. And so I want to plunge into this thing tonight and tread where angels fear to tread. I think we need a, a definition for, of the incarnation, a simple definition. You might jot this down. The definition of the incarnation is this. It is the union of God and man in one person. The union of God and man as one, in one, of God and man in one person. As God, he's every bit man, as man, he is every bit God, unmixed and yet inseparable. And the Apostle Paul summed up the incarnation in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 with four words, God was in 
Christ. And John picks up on it in his, in his Decalogue and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the Logos, was God. And the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, co-equal and co-eternal. Equal in every way is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead. But at a point of, in time, in the fullness of time, a part of that Godhead stepped aside and came to earth and exegeted God and explained Him, illustrated Him, modeled Him. And the Christmas carol puts it like this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, that word means God with us. He is not a good man living like God would want him to live. Nor was he a sterile, metallic God who knew, who knew nothing about humanity except in theory. But God becoming man. And you say, I don't understand that. Neither do I. That undiminished deity becomes true and perfect humanity. Now I want us to look back at that Philippian passage again. Chapter 2, verse 6. I believe it's really the, the, the consummate passage on the incarnation. Verse 6, Jesus Christ, who although He existed, doesn't say that He became. He says, although He existed in the form of God. Now I read, need to read you something that Wiest says about this word form. It's, it's significant. He says, the first word which we carefully study is form, quote form. The Greek word has no reference to the shape of any physical object. It is a Greek, it is a Greek philosophical term. Vincent has an excellent note on the word. In discussing it, he has, among other things, the following to say. We must here dismiss from our minds the idea of shape. The word is used in this philosophical sense to note that expression of being which carries in itself the distinctive nature and character of the being to which it pertains and is thus permanently identified with that nature and character as applied to God. The word is intended to describe that mode in which the essential being of God expresses itself. Now listen to this. Thus the word for form refers to that outward expression which a person gives of his inmost, his inmost nature. Our Lord was in the form of God. The word God is without the definite article in the Greek text and therefore it refers to the divine essence. Thus our Lord's outward expression of His inmost being was as to its nature the expression of the divine essence of deity. Now here's what it says in Knox County terms. 
the essence of Jesus, the outward expression of his inward essence was deity in every sense. And verse 7 says, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant. There's that word again. The outward expression of the inward essence. So the inward essence of Jesus was both deity and humanity. His inward essence was both deity and humanity. But notice the next phrase, and being made in the likeness of men. And he changes from the word form to the word likeness because manhood was the mode, was the, was the physical appearance, was that which you could see. So the essence of deity and the essence of humanity took the form of a man. And the scripture said that he emptied himself. Now, at the heart of the incarnation is this self-emptying of God. Of what did he empty himself? Did he empty himself of his deity? No, he didn't empty himself of his deity. He wouldn't be God, man. He emptied himself. He set aside. Now watch this. He set aside the legitimate and natural desires and prerogatives of deity. He released the independent use of his deity, his independence he enjoyed in heaven. Let me see if I can illustrate it. He created all things, did Jesus. You could take the Old Testament and start out like this. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. He created all things. John says in his decalogue, that, or in his prologue, that, that all things were created through him. He created all things, including gravity. He transcended it. But when he became a man, he came under the sway and the pull of gravity. He created time and transcended it. With him there is no time. But when he became a man, he laid aside that independence, that transcendency, and he lived within the framework of time. He invaded the time-space arena. When in heaven he was independent, when he came to earth, he waited on his Father's will. He left the, enviable, the enviable role of the Lord of heaven and earth, and he became a servant. And G. Campbell Morgan says it like this. He was God-man. He was not God in dwelling a man. There are a lot of those. And he was not a man deified. There's never been any of those except in a system of pagan myths and thoughts. But he was God and man combining in one personality the, true, the two natures of God in one person forever. Now, I, I think that you, you know, and Mary was sharing with us tonight that she grew up as a teenager in this church, and I think that, that you, you, you teenagers have a greater advantage than, than probably what, uh, what some of us had growing up in the back in the, in the good old days when Moses was an RA and, and a, that kind of stuff. And a, the preaching I heard was this, um, 
uh, this preacher would get up on Sunday morning and he'd tell about everything he'd heard on everybody during the week. I mean, it was rip and tear. He did everything but call names. I mean, it's more negative stuff. I mean, it was, you, you just felt terrible. And I can remember sitting, and I, I remember this, and I'll remember it to the dying day. I remember sitting, and I was raised in a Baptist church, raised in a Christian home, and I went to church every time the doors opened. Well, I was sitting in a Bible class at Hardin Simmons University in 1957, and I heard this teacher talk about the God-man that Jesus was both God and man, and for the first time it dawned on me what that meant. And I'll never forget how, how, how that just kind of came over me. Wow, this is, this is something new, and this is something exciting. I mean, I've been in Christmas pageants. It had never dawned on me that what we have in the incarnation is unmixed deity, inseparable from humanity. Now here it is, as God, he's free from sin, Jesus. Now there are three things about God concerning sin. He knew no sin, he did no sin, and he had no sin. Now why is that important? It's because I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And I want you to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews right quick with me. That complicated book on Jewish theology. Hebrews chapter 4, I want to read the last three verses, beginning at verse 14 of chapter 4, Hebrews. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Here it is. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. As God, he's free from sin. He took the full brunt of the satanic attacks, and he did in no way compromise. He never sinned. You believe that? That's a way to go. One of you does. He took the full brunt of satanic attacks and he never in any way compromised. He did no sin, he knew no sin, he had no sin. But as man, he was in every way as us except without sin. When he, cut, when he was cut, he bled. When he was struck, he bruised. When he was sad, he wept. When he was happy, he smiled. When he was angry, he showed it. When he was a child in his home in Luke 2, under submission of his parents. When he was hot, he sweated. And when he was cold, he chilled. He experienced everything of humanity, yet without sin. And John 8 says that he stood before his accusers and said, Who convicts me of sin? Nobody did. And he stood before Pilate at the end of his life, and Pilate took it all into consideration, had the authority to do it, finally concluded, I find no fault in him. In, as Jesus, Jesus Christ as God was free from sin, and as man, he was fully able to understand our struggles. God, man. Now, I want us to look quickly 
Did I say 30 minutes to express the inexpressible? Maybe 40. <laughs> you didn't believe it when I said it, did you? For 30 minutes. Look, look, I want us to look at the four Gospels, and I want us to see the, how these men expressed his humanity and his deity back to back, and they knew him best. And, and I want to show you in four places in the Gospels the examples of the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus back to back. I think it will be interesting for you to look at. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Now Matthew's writing about Jesus, and this is what he says. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up by himself to the mountain to pray. That's his, that's his humanity. Now why would God have to pray? He went up to the mountain to pray. That's his humanity. The essence of prayer is to request of God to express a need or to praise his humanity, that's his humanity. He went up to pray. And it was evening, and he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves. The wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. That's his deity. So back to back, Matthew describes both the humanity and the deity of Jesus in one person. He went up to the mountain to pray as a man. He walked on the water as God. All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Mark 1, 40. I'll make it easy for you. It's the next verse, next book over. And a leper came to him, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. We say parenthetically that um, the healing of leprosy, the leper never said, never ever said, Would you heal me? Nor was it ever referred to the, the, the healing of a leper as a healing. It's always a cleansing. Because leprosy... Uh, was believed to be the result of sin. That's significant. For this leper to be well, the leper felt he had to have his sin forgiven. All right, he, he, he looked on this leper, he says, if you, can, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, that's his humanity. He felt this deep within him. His, within him was sympathy. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. More to it than the healing of leprosy, the removal of sin. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. There is the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus back to back. Luke 8. Luke 8 chapter 23. The disciples get in the boat and go on the other side. He says, as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. 
And a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake. They began to be swamped and be in danger. He's in the boat asleep. That's his humanity. I see it expressed Sunday mornings here in this auditorium. We are sailing along, and I see some go to sleep. That's humanity. Just, you know, it's, it's what you do because you're a human, and the sermon's boring. <laughs> okay, that's another problem. He fell asleep, that's his humanity, and they came and woke him and said, Master, we are perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. That's his deity. This human being who slept in the boat gets up and calms the storm and he said to them where is your faith and they were fearful and amazed you bet they were now they were scared in the storm but they're not as scared when the storm's going on as they are now in the presence of deity I mean they're terrified John 11 verse 32 Jesus is absent. His friend Lazarus is is sick. Verse 32, Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet and said, If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Verse 34, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, What that verse of Scripture we all have memorized. (laughs) Jesus wept. As a man, he wept. Look at the next. And Jesus, therefore, verse 38, began deeply moved within, came to the stone. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. They didn't have to remove the stone for Jesus, because he was resurrected. Lazarus was resuscitated. He came back to life to die again. That's the difference. You need to remember that. Remove the stone and say, well, he, he's, you know, he's sick. He's, he's dead and he stinks. Verse 43, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out and they let him go. That's his deity. You say, so what? Well, because he's God, he's able to forgive my sin. Because he's man, he understands us. And because he's God-man, we have a mediator. And I was getting ready to come in here tonight, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I want to read you something. Job 9. Job 9. Just listen to it. You don't have to turn. You write this down. Look it up. Verse 32, and Job is crying out in his despair. Probably the oldest book in the Bible. Hundreds of years before Jesus. This is what he cries out. For he is not a man as I am, He's talking about God. How can I deal with God? He says, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him. 
that we may go to court together. If he were a man, we'd go to court together and debate this issue out in court. But he's not a man like I am. They lose his cry. There is no umpire between us. It's daysman in the King James, the real Bible. It means mediator. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon both of us. And Paul shouts, there is an umpire. There is one mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ the righteous. There is one who is man, who is both man and God who stands between us and he lays his hand upon both of us. And I wish that I could spend the rest of the night expressing the inexpressible for there is no profound truth like this. Because he's God-man, he can take your hand and put it in God's. And that's what He wants to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the wonderful revelation of Your Word that emerges out of the ashes of a ruined life. That the Almighty God has come. That He stands today to take us, unite us with the Father the mediator that binds the two. We praise you and thank you, Father, that in the inexpressible message of the incarnation, you stepped aside and laid aside your prerogatives of independence and became with us as us. To breathe our air, to feel our pain, to suffer our suffering we might be made sons of God. I pray that those tonight who yet have never trusted Jesus, have never said yes to His call to be saved, would do it now. And count on Him and trust in Him, rely on Him, the eternal God-man. I pray in His name and for His sake. There are three invitations tonight. An invitation for you to come and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and place your trust on Him. I was going over this plan of salvation with these precious little children, these little girls, young ladies a while ago. I asked them to tell me what it means to believe in Jesus. Well, they said, well, it means to trust Him. Like a simple child, to trust Him count on him it means I'm counting on Jesus for all that I need for everything in life and what's beyond if you placed your faith in that act of commitment to Christ maybe you need to come and join our church or to walk closer with God which means a public repentance of your life toward God while we stand to sing we invite you to come